0: Well, I made it. I feel like Jerry Lee Lewis, breathless. Y'all don't know Jerry Lee Lewis, do you? Okay. Well, wave that one then. All right. I invite you to look with me to the Book of Philippians at a text that uh, is a bundled text. But it's good to be here this morning to see, meet with y'all, fellowship with y'all again. I've been paranoid all morning. I was paranoid about preaching too long up at Old Union, but I got through ahead of time. I was paranoid about getting behind some law-abiding citizens on the way back down here. I was paranoid about a state trooper being hidden in the bushes. Then I was paranoid about a train catching me over here. And now I'm paranoid about preaching too long here. Y'all will not care about that, do you? that gives me an opportunity to tell you something. There was a man who was a long, long, long-winded preacher. And he preached forever. And he was preaching one Sunday morning, and one of the men in the church got up and walked out. Later, he came back in, sat down and listened to the rest of the sermon. After the service, the preacher said, asked him, Where did, why did you get up and leave? He said, I went to get a haircut. <laughs> He said, Why didn't you get a haircut before you came to church? He said, Well, before I came, I didn't need one. <laughs> so maybe I won't be that long uh, winded. I want you to look with me. And before I get into the message, I want to always say this. And of course, you, most of you have probably heard me say this before. But I'll put it this way there's only one thing in the Bible said to be the power of God unto salvation. And that's the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is said to be the power of God unto salvation. There's only one thing in the Bible said to be pleasing to God, and that is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, that's sort of a disclaimer. That's the wrong word to use, but I'll use it like that. But I always want you to understand that no matter what is preached, the gospel is incorporated, connected to everything. You don't get away from preaching about and preaching the gospel itself. So with that in mind, I want to call your attention to one verse in uh, chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, as we look at the subject of the perfect work of a perfect Savior. Being confident of this very thing that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now that is first point of the outline commencement. Now look in chapter two and verse thirteen. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's continuation. Now look in chapter 3 and verse 21. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working, whereby He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. That is completion. Commencement, continuation, and completion. Completion. And all of that is captured for us, bundled for us in verse 6 of chapter 1. But Paul, being the great prophet that he was, being the great pastor that he was, wanted to bear it out for it to be given so that we could hear it and be firmly fixed in our minds. Now those three things make for a well-rounded salvation. I think that all of us as Christians, we all want to have an assurance of faith. We want to be secure in uh, the uh, gospel of our salvation. Well, here is certainly a text that gives you and lends, lends itself to your assurance, to your security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, it propagates, it proclaims the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look first of all at this verse 6. The work of grace commenced. The commencement, so to speak. Paul speaks here of a good work that began in all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. What he is doing is he is calling attention to the work of grace in the soul by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is eminently... Paul points out a good work since it works nothing but good in the heart and the soul of a sinner who is brought into uh, the faith. To bring a person from darkness into light is good. To bring a person from bondage to freedom is good. It's good for, for himself. It's good for society. It's good for the church. It's good for the glory of God Himself. It is so good a thing that the person who receives it becomes the heir of all good and furthermore, the advocate and the author of all uh, good. This good is the best that a man can receive. The best thing that you and I can ever receive is the free salvation from God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate Gift to a sinner who believes it is a good work. But then secondly, notice he calls it a work, and in the deepest sense, it is a work to, uh, a work to convert a soul. Conversion in the Bible is comparable to the creation of all things. Remember when God created things, He said, Let there be light, and there was light' He spoke everything into existence. But when it came to the salvation of a sinner, He didn't just speak it into being. It took the death of His Son, a work. That was a good work. You agree? It's altogether a good work. He worked a salvation in our soul that we could not work in ourselves. Now look at a third thing. This good work was begun by God. Not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man. You see, no sinner ever came to God of his own uh, choosing, of his own uh, good pleasure, of his own will, so to speak. He had to be brought. He had to be ushered into. He had to be... uh, laid hold of as Paul describes it later in the book of Philippians uh, and, and, and brought into this situation brought from death into uh, life. Divine life has departed was departed from man in the garden of Eden from the natural man man is declared to be dead in sin and so life has to come from him who is the giver of life or he must remain dead forevermore. But a fourth thing, notice in this verse. He who began the good work is to carry it on. That's what it says. He which has begun a good work in you will perform it. That is, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. You see, every, every good thing that is in a Christian uh, not merely begins, but progresses and is consummated by the nurturing grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fifth thing, Paul's main drift, it seems to be in this verse, is that this good work which is begun in believers by God, which can only be further performed by him, most certainly will be carried on to, to its completion. Now that you see it's bundled in this one verse. And uh, here, here you find, uh, you, you observe he declares himself to be confident of this truth. Now why did Paul need to uh, write so positively that way? That he was confident that he who began a good work would perform it? Because he knew about the faithfulness of God. He knew about the purpose of God. He knew about the decree of God standing behind his salvation. And he knew that he, God, would not have given his son to the death uh, for our sins if it wasn't going to be effective and eternally effective. Absolutely effective. For you see, Jesus did not die just to make it possible for sinners to be saved. He died not a potential atonement in a, a potential way, but it was an effective way. It was something that would stand for all of eternity. And it is further uh, held up in that way, Paul's statement, being confident of this very thing, when we look into chapter 2 at verse 13 and see it uh, carried on, where he says, "...it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure." Now, someone may object. Someone may argue and say, well, look at verse 12. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12 of chapter 2 says that. But it doesn't stop there, does it? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Over in the book of Ephesians, we're told that He works all things after the pleasure of His own will. That means that God has His hand upon every living being, upon everything that takes place in this universe. He's the creator of it. He brings all things to pass. He is the one who orchestrates all things. We may look around us at times and think about this sad, sick society that we're in. But you mark this down. God is still on the throne. He's still working His work. And He'll do His good pleasure. Paul is confident that He will bring to pass everything that He has determined, and He will do it. Now, a problem that we sometimes get into is that we, we uh, as Christians, uh, we c- might get uh, uh, dismayed and discouraged and disappointed in things, and we see uh, professing Christians uh, a lot of times who will be going along okay for a while, but then they seem to drift away. The book of Hebrews was written to warn people about drifting, neglecting so great a salvation. Not rejecting, but neglecting, that is, ignoring so great a salvation. They were warned about becoming deaf uh, to the word of the gospel. Uh, They were warned about defying uh, the things of God and disobeying the things of God. And haven't we seen that some Christians are, are maybe trying to uh, get along, but they find it very, very difficult to get along and, and they get discouraged. They just get in a cycle and, and seem to uh, be uh, falling into disappointment. Let me tell you about a story about a little boy, 10 or 11 year old. He went to the grocery store. He was walking up and down the aisle and and the manager saw him and he said, Son, can I help you with something? He said, Yeah, I'm looking for some does detergent. Y'all remember does? Does you or don't you? <laughs> Y'all remember does detergent? He said, Well, what do you want with does detergent? He said, I want to wash my cat. He said, Son You might kill that cat if you wash it with duds detergent. Well, the boy insisted he got his duds detergent, and he went home. A few days later, he was back in the grocery store, and the manager saw him and said, Son, how did it go with washing your cat? He said, Oh, the cat died. He said, Well, I told you you might kill it. He said, No, that's not what killed it. It was a spin cycle that killed the cat. (laughs) Well, we get in a spin cycle, do we not, sometimes? We don't know. Which way to turn? We don't know what to do. We want to do good. We kind of like Paul when I would do good, evil is present with me. Things like that. Well, here in chapter 2, nail this down. It is God who works in his people to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're told in Ephesians, Paul says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and only God can create unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them not work in them but walk in the very works that God is pleased with us and so uh, you find that here is a here is the continuation a lot of people, too many people are depending on what they do but it is God who works in us both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Some of you are are fond of A.W. Pink. Listen to this statement he uh, makes. He said, Was there not a time when you were unwilling to come to Christ? There was. Since then you have come to Him. Do you not acknowledge you came to Christ because the Holy Spirit brought you from unwillingness to willingness? You do. Then is it not also a fact That the Holy Spirit has not done in many others what he has done in you? granting that many others have heard the gospel, been shown their need of Christ, yet they are still unwilling to come to him. Thus he has wrought more in you than in them. Do you answer, yet I remember well the time when the great issue was presented to me, and my consciousness testifies that my will acted and that I yielded to the claims of Christ upon me. Quite true. But before you yielded, the Holy Spirit overcame the native enmity of your mind against God, and this enmity He does not overcome in all. Should it be said, that is because they are unwilling for their enmity to be overcome. Ah, none are thus willing until He has put forth His almighty power and wrought a miracle of grace in their heart. It is God who works in us salvation notice verse 12 again work out your own salvation with fear and trembling you can't work out something you don't have in you it doesn't mean there work for your salvation but to work out that which God has worked in you and he works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure well let's see it further look over in chapter 3 at the passage verse 21 the work of grace completed. Commence, continuation, and completion. It says here that Christ one day, verse, verse 20, Our citizenship is from heaven from whence we look for the Savior who's going to change this vile body and fashion it like unto His own glorious body according to the power whereby He is able to subdue all things unto Himself our lowly body one day is under to undergo going to undergo a change to fit it for heaven and it's going to take the form as it states here of his glorified body such as was seen over in Matthew 17 in the transfiguration this is the blessed hope that god's people are waiting for Now look at this passage in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Completion. We'll be complete. Now, the book of Colossians also tells us that we're complete in Him already, but there's coming yet another facet of that completion. When we will have glorified bodies, we shall see Him as He is, for and we shall be like Him. Now look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, this tent that we dwell in, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Going on verse 5 through 6. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So there's going to be a change one day. This will be the day of our glorification. Everything is going to be complete at that time the work that God began in you in salvation, the work that He continued is going to be complete. And you're going to be just like Him. Now, do you have that assurance of faith? Do you have that security in your salvation? What is the basis of your assurance and confidence before God? Now many times you'll find people basing their assurance upon a past experience and they glorify uh, the experience more than they do the Lord, it seems like. Or some might uh, rely upon uh, inward graces or feelings or something like that. Others might depend on their works or opinions that other people have about them. But if you want to settle it once and for all, let me give you three things that gives you assurance. First of all, it's the written Word of God. Secondly, is the witness of the Spirit. And thirdly, is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at those things and see that our confidence and our assurance rises from and is based upon those things. And they are all in harmony one with the other. And first of all, let's think about the written word of God. We can't choose them all, but uh, let, let's take one or two. Look at this passage in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 37 through 40. And look at the profoundness, the profoundness of this statement. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. Now, that's an absolute. Not one is going to be missing. Is the emphasis here? Not one is going to fall through the cracks. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Why will he not? Because they are a gift from the Father. Would I dishonor my Father, he seems to be saying, by refusing one that he gave to me? Then he goes on and says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. Now there's assurance. There's confidence. There's a basis for confidence right there. Do you have that? Do you rely on that Word of God? This is the Word of God. It's not the Word of a Shakespeare or someone like that. This is the Word of God. And going further, one other word, Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, He is able to save even to the uttermost, to save them... "...to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever lives, to make intercession for them." Now that's what the Word says. Are we going to disregard His Word? Are we going to say, but? What about this? Well, there's no need to, for this is the Word of God. Now let's think about the witness of the Spirit as being a basis of confidence and assurance. Look at this passage, Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at what Jesus said <clears throat> in John 16 regarding that, verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that, he sh- that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What's he going to speak about? What is the Holy Spirit speaking of? The Lord Jesus Christ. He gives testimony to Him. He gives witness unto Him. And then we read a further comforting truth. In Romans 5, in verse 5, where it says that hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There is in every child of God a company, a present company, the Holy Spirit, who is shed abroad in our hearts as we look at the written Word, the love of God. We're to capitalize. We're to take advantage of these great privileges of reading His Word, praying in the Spirit, and seeing these treasured truths. But then one other thing is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is what gives us an exclamation point to all of it. Look at this passage in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. I cherish this great truth. Notice there are two principles given to us here. Two parts of one truth. For when we were enemies, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? By the death of His Son. That's how sinners are reconciled to God. And I always like to look at it this way. Ask yourself, what is it not saying? It's not saying we're reconciled by our good deeds, or baptism, or a prayer, or any other thing. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Then Paul gives one of his famous much more. Having been reconciled, we are being saved by His life. Now what is that saying? How long is Jesus going to live? Well, forever. So we're being saved. He began the good work. He will continue it. He will complete it. And then look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. I'll call your attention to the last phrase where it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down the right hand of the majesty on high. By himself. Some people will say, well, being saved is part of what God has done and been me doing my part. No, by Himself He purged our sins. Once and for all He did this. And they'll never be brought up again against a believer. There's no condemnation. Never can be. Never will be to the child of God. Now look further in chapter 9 of Hebrews verse 26 and I call your attention to this statement. He has appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin... How? By the sacrifice of Himself. Not by any other way, but by the sacrifice of Himself. And then in chapter 10, verse 14, By one offering, His offering, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified, set apart, those given to Him of the Father. He perfected them. No blemish. No thing to be turned away before God. He delights in the salvation of His people. He delights in His people. And then we have one other. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the last phrase, by whose stripes you were healed. Now there's a distinction here. This is a quotation from Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah put it this way, by whose stripes you are healed. But notice the difference. Peter says, by whose stripes you were healed. Where was that taking place at? Where did that take place at? At the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation was paid for past, present, and future at the cross. Every aspect of it every contingency was dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ he tread the winepress of God's wrath all by himself and he accomplished everything that the father sent him to do now do you have assurance do you have confidence before God you have the security of your salvation Perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. I'm not ashamed to make that statement because that's what we've been talking about. God commenced the work in your life if you're a believer. He continues it and He will complete it. That is a full, a whole salvation. It's all due to the marvelous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Have you believed the record that God has given? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the amazing way in which You have given us salvation. We trusted in ourselves until the light of the Gospel shined in our hearts to bring us from death to life, from unbelief to belief, to look outside ourselves to Him who was delivered up to the cross and bore our shame and our sin in His own body. And He put away our sins once and for all by the sacrifice of Himself your word declares that the gospel and the gospel only is the power of god under salvation and it's to everyone who simply believes who finds rest in that finished work of the lord jesus christ if there's one who's come under the spell of the gospel the sound of the word of grace this morning whose hearts has been opened to hear the truth and rest in it. In this time of invitation, may You give them the grace and the boldness to make public what You have wrought and brought about in their heart and in their soul. There might be other needs. Whatever is done, we'll honor You and thank You for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen.